So often we get these movies where we do this work, we do this hard work, we have these awkward moments and these awkward conversations, and then we tie it up so everyone can leave and go to In-N-Out and forget that they saw a film at all, you know? Uh, and I try to make films that pour lead in people's shoes, you know, so they can't get up and they're stuck and they're asking themselves, if this is true, then what am I doing to change it? Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Nate Parker's new drama, American Skin. Mr. Parker also stars in the film as a Marine veteran and school janitor who is trying to mend his relationship with his son after a divorce. When his son is killed during a routine traffic stop and the police officer is acquitted, he takes matters into his own hands. In addition to American Skin, Mr. Parker's other directorial credits include the feature film The Birth of a Nation, which earned him a DGA Award nomination for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in First Time Feature Film. Mr. Parker spoke with fellow director Jeff Bird about filming American Skin in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. What's up, folks? And uh, welcome to American Skin, directed by Nate Parker. Um, Nate, welcome to conversations with and welcome happy black history month and thank you for being available for this i really appreciate it of course of course brother so happy to be sitting with you again yes so hopefully you guys have watched it because spoiler alert there will be lots of spoilers i'll try to keep it as spoiler free as possible but i i i I can't promise because the movie the film has moved me so much that uh, i just gotta get into it right now with nate and, and 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 dissect all the stuff so Nate, if you don't mind, let's start. Let's 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 just start from the beginning. Let's start from you know the script. Let's start from the script and 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 how all of this was conceived. I mean, we know for those of us, all of us who have watched the film, that it is you know very timely, and it is based in the here and the now and what goes on with you know black people, um, not just black men, but black people, black women. Um, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, you know, as a, with police. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of get from your mind, like how it all came to be. Well, yeah, thank you for for that question. For me, it was a very personal journey. I came to to Hollywood by way of Norfolk, Virginia and left a very broken school system, a very impoverished area. Uh, So naturally a lot of my family members were still growing up there when I came here. Uh, My sister specifically uh, was raising my nephew and he turned 13. And he was in a situation where he didn't have a father around and she needed support. Uh, and so I flew out and said, I, I would take him if he was willing to come with me. So um, I was able to get custody of my nephew, Shaheem, and I brought him here to Los Angeles. And I, and I felt like immediately, you know, I'm, I'm in a position, I'm going to be able to give him a better, better life, more, more opportunities, more access to resources and things I never had. Uh, but it didn't take long. This was, in, this was in 2013. It didn't take long, less than a year. Uh, I'd be sitting next to him on a couch uh, in my house and we were watching CNN and we'd be looking at Michael Brown face down, bloating in the, in the heat. And my, my nephew, if, if you can imagine sitting next to someone that is, uh, you know, in the ballpark of age and he's looking at this, this body uncovered, just sweltering. And, you know, he turned to me and he said, Uncle Nate, what do I do if I get pulled over on my bike uh, on my way to school? Uh, and it hit me right at that moment that 
for all the movies that I, that I try to do that are socially responsible and culturally responsive for all the, you know, the work I do, you know, that, 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 that I, that I try to do films that, that are about our progress and our growth. I didn't, I didn't have an answer in that moment. Um, and I can remember even now the way I felt, you know, I said to him, well, if you, if you feel like you're getting followed or pulled over, you know, call me because I may be close enough to be able to come in and help. And then I was like, don't, don't, don't call me. Don't reach for your phone. Um, you know, slow down as slowly as you can, gradually. As soon as you can put your feet down, you slowly raise your hand and slowly turn toward the officer, whoever they are, so they can see your face, they can see your humanity, they can see you're, you're, you're younger than you look because he's taller than me even back, back then. Uh, and whatever you do, do it with them with eye contact so they can see that you're not a threat. And as I'm talking, I'm looking to, at him and his face is falling and his eyes are bugging. And I realized in this moment of trying to teach him, I'm traumatizing him. Uh, and that is his introduction or his rite of passage into manhood in a, in, a, in a moment that we did not plan when I'm having to tell him that as a citizen of this country, his life is not only less valuable, uh, but I can't protect him if he finds himself in a situation like Michael Brown or someone, you know, so many of the many, many people we saw on television. So I realized that I'd taken him out of the frying pan and into the fire. Uh, as a guardian. Uh, and it was devastating, you know? And so I said to myself, well, okay, this is my only son, even though he's my nephew, I have, I have, I have five girls, uh, but I'm going to, I told him, I'm gonna get you an answer. And I'm gonna get an answer not only for you, but for those girls in there as well. And so began my journey to figure out what in what way I could use my art to create something that could bring a voice to that feeling I felt in my spirit when I felt like I let him down and that I had to traumatize him to protect him. But in doing so, I created a, uh, I broke something in him. Uh, and that began the journey with, of the script, or, or you know, which started off as a think piece, essay type thing. And then 2018, 2019 is when I started writing the script uh, and was able to get the, the financing and make the film. Okay, so then, man, let me tell you something. I mean, I don't know if people understand the weight of that conversation. Uh, I, I know all of us, you know, black folks understand the weight of that conversation, but, uh, you know, I applaud you for being able to have it in that way that you did. Because I remember when I had the conversation when my, my, you know, my father had the conversation with me and, you know, and then everybody and I've, I've given the conversation to like my nephew. So, you know, that means a lot that, you know, you had that and that you felt the fact, the weight of the trauma you were putting on him. Um, okay, so let's stick with, let's stick, I'm trying to, I'm going to try and stick with craft quite a bit just because uh, I have to, because the film affected me in such a way. Um, so let's stick with the craft. So you got the, you got the script done and then you said you went, you know, you went to get the money and you went to, because this film is a true uh, independent film in, in a world where, and I say that not to disrespect other films that are independent, but there are a lot of films now that are independent, but then there, you know, you find out later, this was back by Netflix or that was back by Amazon, but this was a true independent film. How did you go about getting the money for such a, you know, what some would say polarizing script? Right. Well, you know, I think there's such an advantage uh, to independent filmmaking in that you can make the thing you're passionate about. You can bring the narrative to investors that identify with that passion. Uh, and if you're crafty, you can make it for not a lot of money, you know? So for this, this wasn't a career moment for me. For me, it was how do I create a device that for all of the, the nephews, the sons, the daughters, the nieces and nephews, the mothers and fathers can see something 
that they will feel represented in, and in a way that is hasn't that hasn't been done um, in a movie like way. The original plan was to make the film for hundred thousand dollars. You know, a guy told me, you know, I pitched it to him. He was like, "Hey, you know, I got hundred thousand dollars on it." And I said, "Well, the way I want to make it, you know, I, I can." I can for, for me, I never, anyone that ever works with me, I don't think about money. I think about getting it done. You know, how do I get this done? If I have to use iPhones, uh, if whatever, whatever, the, whatever the obstacle in front of me, how important is this story? Uh, and, 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 and how desperately do I need to tell it? And then everything else kind of happens from there. Um, so I didn't try to make it for no money. I just was ready to make it with no money. And so um, I was working with a, a, one of my producers, Tarak Benamar, and he asked me what I had up next. And I said, well, um, I'm recruiting for this film that I think I'm gonna make for $100,000. And he was like, $100,000 movie? Like, what is this movie about? And I told him, and he was just, you know, we were, we were at a, a, a dinner and I wanna say we were with his, his son. And both of them were like, that film needs to be made. And then Tarak said, if, if, if that script existed, I'd finance it right now. And, and I'd, I'd put money into that. So what ended up happening is uh, he called a friend of his, uh, Mark Berg, and they said, you know, we could, you know, put together, you know, $500,000 or whatever. And so what started as a $500,000 movie ended up being less than a million. Uh, but that, that's how it started. It was, it was myself, you know, um, my, my business partner, uh, uh, other producers, Lucas, Zach. Um, we are a very motley crew uh, of, of, of filmmakers that we approach the business in one way, and that is tell the story no matter how much money there is, just tell the story. And so, um, you know, we kind of just put together a blueprint on how we would approach it. And I'd done short films in this way for, for years and years. Uh, and, 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 I, and I basically, you know, told my, film, my, 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 my uh, producing partners um, outside of um, Mark and Tarak, I said, look, this movie is going to either really progress us in a way that excites folks, or it's gonna polarize us in a way that I don't know how to, how, to, how to predict. But that said, if, if we can't get distribution, we're gonna put it on YouTube because that's how important we think this movie is. Um, and, and that was like the early conversations. It was, uh, and, and it, was, it, was, it was fun, you know? It felt like art for real because we didn't have anything, you know? Um, when you're making a movie for no money, you can't pay everyone. So everyone participates and there's nothing better than that. It's nothing better than calling an actor and saying, look, I value your talent. I have no money. So you're going to participate right beside me. It's an, it's an easy yes when it's a story that, that we all feel needs to, needs to be told. But I did that for crew and everyone. You know, I said, this is not a money play for me. So I'll participate with everyone all the way down the line um, to get the best people involved with this film. Because I believe the way we truth tell in this story will impact lives. If we get it wrong, we've done a disservice to, to every you know, victim of, of police violence. Uh, we've done a, a, an injustice to the very people who are, are, who are being programmed by a system of policing that is destructive, uh, that is in, in so many ways racist and biased. Uh, so we all agreed that we, we had to get it right. So you know, in going to Turok and, uh, and, and Mark and them coming on, um, really not just with money, but saying anything we can do and, and even getting their hands dirty and doing producerial work, um, it positioned us to have a film that we cared about so desperately that every frame was fought for. There were, there were, there were, there were no throwaway frames because everyone understood what we were, 
what we were trying to do with respect to changing the narrative around the circumstance in the United States of America. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing. Okay, so you got, so you got that done. You got the, the money. And then, you know, I'll get to something near and dear and close to my heart. Um, the casting, obviously, you know, because my sister, I say near and dear to my heart because my sister, Tracy Twenty Bird, was your casting director. That's right. And, you know, and I, you know, I know, she, you know, she does an amazing job and so do other directors, you know, like she worked with Brian Coogler and now she's, I mean, she's, this are, you know, how many times now have you guys worked there? Man, I mean, a number of times. I've known her since probably my first couple of weeks in Hollywood as an actor, you know, uh, she is a heavyweight. Um, she is more than capable. She is an oracle in ways in the way that she can read a script and instantly conjure up ideas that work right away. I, I think about the story when the way we were able to uh, hire um, Sierra, Sierra Capri, you know, as yes. well, because I, I, it's very important for this film. It's very important that the protagonist not be Lincoln Jefferson, but the protagonist be Jordan, the filmmaker. You know, mm -hmm. when, from a technical standpoint, he drives the narrative, right? And then he is the one that ultimately brings the story to the people. You know yep. what I mean? Movie inside of a film inside of a film, but yep. I sat Jordan and I said, you're the, you're the protagonist, you're the hero. Mm -hmm. My character's a grieving father, but you're the one that is responsible for the change that's gonna happen in the film and the change is gonna happen after the film with respect to it spilling into the street. So to go back to, to, to Twinkie, she was able to help me when I, when I was looking for roles pull people together, um, one that would do it for the money, uh, that were open to the art of it, uh, and, two, and, and two, those who would just be excited at the opportunity. You know, when you think of, you know, uh, Omari Hartwig, you think of Theo Rossi, you think of, you know, Milana Jackson, um, Shane Paul McGee, Sierra Capri, um, Bo Knapp. Uh, these, are, these are, you know, some of them are more known than others, but the ones that aren't known, we're present in every moment, you know, and I, and, I, and again, I give credit to Twinkie because we spent long hours reaching out to people, um, trying to convince them that they'd make $2, but this would be a legacy moment for them. I mean, and, and it certainly, it certainly was and is, and, and will be after, you know, all said and done. I mean, the cast that you had and the cast that you, that you directed and molded, I mean, let's quickly talk about Bonat for a second in, in regards to that you know, situation, you know, with you, your character and his character and the face off and, and all that. I mean, I mean, what was that like on set to, you know, have to direct literally, you know, as, you know, be the director, but also be the father who lost his son and, 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 and the, 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 the kid who played, the young man who played your son, he was amazing as well. And that, and you could feel that whole moment with him wanting to, you know, just video the thing and then what happened. But just speak to that a bit about how you directed that moment with you and Bo and, and how that felt. Well, you know, I think that there's definitely an advantage to being an actor that directs. I think that there's a, a relationship between actors. There's a trust between actors that isn't always articulated between director or isn't always achieved because I think it's always sought after. But sometimes it's, it's, there's so many things that you have to do as a director that sometimes the last thing you, you get to do is really plug in with your directors, I mean, with your, your actors. So for me, you know, the first meeting I had with Bo, um, when I talked to him about the project, we just kind of talked about, you know, our journey. We talked about um, our families. We talked about all the things that mattered to us because it was important to me that he understood that I, I care about those things. I, I try to approach the game like a, a coach, you know what I mean? Um, someone that who, you know, as I, I coach sports in real life, and I've learned that 
when you really connect with uh, uh, if you're you know a young person you're teaching or you're you're coaching uh, and really get them to recognize that one thing that will take them to the next level of their ability, um, that's where the magic happens. And for me, it was really trying to get Bo to understand the why behind the movie and how important it was for him to really dip into the like sink into this role because Bo is nothing like the character he played. Um, but I shared with him conversations I'd had with police officers, and I, I tried to share with him the humanity I found in the police officers that I, that I uh, interviewed. So he, you know, wouldn't come into it um, from the outside looking in, but he'd be able to be able to have things to identify with, with respect to their humanity. And, and so that first conversation, we found ourselves in tears, you know, we hit a moment where we're talking about the things we're seeing in the world. We're talking about, you know, the the important thing, things we thought so important in this film. We found ourselves literally crying, two grown men in a cafe crying together um, about, uh, the importance of art when it comes to telling these stories and, 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 and being the last vanguard of shifting the narrative. And he brought that onto set. So, you know, I was able to rehearse with him a little bit. You know, I called him, we rehearsed a little bit on the phone. We, he came in early, like he was so humble. There was never a moment where he said, I need to get paid to rehearse. Um, but I think all of that was, was indica- indicative of, 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 of the way we sat down the very first time. You know, the uh, appreciation we showed for each other as, as human beings, um, you know, obviously he, he's a white man and I'm a black man um, and being open to have hard conversations even before we got on set prepared us for the places we would have to go. Um, and, and, the, and the rest is the rest is history. I think he's a remarkable uh, talent, but he's a very good man and he's a, a good father to his to his children and husband to his wife. Like all those things, we've become very close um, since we made the film. And, uh, you know, I feel very blessed to have kind of walked walked that space with him. I mean, I, I commend you both for that because you both for that for the portrayal because it's a hard it's a hard conversation to have, and it's a hard conversation that America should be having. That you know you know America as a whole and, and every microcosm in between, whether it be you know uh, you know Domino Sugar Plant or the DGA or any, we should be having those conversations and facing up to those things. And I think the beauty of it is the arc that you you and Bo had in it was towards the end you know, what happened? You guys, you know, there was a mutual understanding mm-hmm. even in that moment. And so much so that, you know, he was like, hey, I will, I will walk you out. I will, you know, let's, let's go out there. And I won't say what happens after that, but I, I just think it was, you know, amazing. Uh, and let me just talk about one other thing real quick on, you know, now we're talking about the direction of the character. Theo Rossi yeah. and that character, man, I, it, so I, I would say it's the Theo Rossi of it all, and then that gentleman, that Latina, that Latino man who was like, look, and they had that whole conversation and you didn't even do the subtitles, which I thought was amazing. I said, no, let them have their conversation. And if you don't understand it, then go find a Latino friend, call somebody, you know, reach out to your community and then get them to, to, to translate it for you and then have a conversation. That's about right. it, because that's a much needed conversation too that needs to happen. It, you know, what's happening with, you know, black and brown people, and, you know, Black and Asian people and all those things. So, I, I, you know, another, another feather in your cap for starting that conversation and also the brown and brown conversation. Mm-hmm. So just speak to that a little bit and how that came about. And that brother was so real. I mean, Theo was real, too. But that, that other guy? Oh, yeah. remarkable, Felix. So, so I'll speak to that first. So how do you tell a story like this in a way that is so authentic that people can't see the seams, you know, as I call them? Well, if you're going to have, you know, people who are, are, who are portraying inmates or felons, uh, why not hire people who have had 
an intersection with the prison industrial complex. And Felix and a, a few other the, of the brothers that were in that jury uh, were people that I'd found that had recently served time. They were returning citizens. Um, you know, so, you know, Chris, the brother with the, the, the Muslim brother, uh, yep. found him. I found him at a spoken word event mm -hmm. on um, bail reform. You know, so, uh, you know, so I went to this thing that my, my, my one, of the, one of the executive producers, uh, Mike Novogratz does a lot of work and you know, work together on bail reform. And he had a guy come out and do a spoken word. And he came, and when, and when Chris came off of Pain the Poet is what he goes like, when he came off the stage, I said, brother, can I talk to you? Pulled him to the side, I said, I'm making a movie. I'd love to know if, if, if you'd be open to being an actor. And he's like, but, but I'm not an actor. I said, it's okay. I said, because if you can channel what you just did on that stage, that spoken word, into the character that I'm thinking in my script, we will be golden. It will be magic, magic all over the place. And it, he was very insecure in it, but I won him over over the course of the next few weeks. And then he flew out from Virginia uh, and he portrayed the role. Same thing with Felix. I met Felix through ARC. Scott Budnick has an organization called the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, where he helps young uh, brothers and sisters who are returning citizens get to work. You know, so our craft services, were, were two young ladies that were uh, returning citizens. Our DIT was a returning citizen. We had almost 140 years represented on that set with returning citizens that, are, that were channeling uh, uh, th their work into this project for us. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that to me was, was very important, you know? Uh, and I'll speak to the other thing, you know, just the whole idea of their conversation. I fought for that. You know, obviously it's from a creative standpoint, from an art standpoint, you can imagine the pushback I got from not wanting to put subtitles. Uh, and it was the feeling of, well, what if people don't get it? And I said the same thing you said. I said, well, then they can ask a Latino bro brother, sister, or Hispanic person. They can, it, it, because it inspires the very thing that we haven't tried yet when it comes to changing the narrative. And that is conversation. You know, Brian Stevenson uh, speaks on proximity. He said, you can't solve a problem you're not willing to get close to. Mm -hmm. So all of us want to deal with police violence, want to deal with white supremacy or deal with the racial disparity, all of these things without ever getting close to the very people that could give us perspective, this perspective we need to change or, or to impact that situation. So for this, putting all these people in a approximate uh, uh, environment, there could be nothing but good that would come out of it because we're having a conversation that we so often appropriate, right? It's so yep. easy to stand back and say, you know what? Police and, you know, police need to, to talk to the African-American community. But you know what? Our politics, you know what? There are all these, 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 these plays at the conversation, but there's, there's so few real conversations. You know, when, 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 when uh, Miss, Miss um, Tamir Rice's mother uh, wanted answers, you know what she got? She got a statement. That's it. Michael Brown's mom wanted answers. They, Breonna Taylor's family wanted answers. You know what they got? a statement. No hmm. one talked to those police and those police didn't get to represent themselves. So, you know, in the spirit of Sidney Lamette, I, I wanted to create, and I know I may be getting ahead of myself, we'll probably be going here soon, but I wanted to cre create a hostage situation where no one could leave and we were given a real opportunity to talk rather than the image of the white cop and the black kid crying on Instagram you know, or, you, you know, or yep. the, uh, the, the black, the, the LAPD giving a barbecue in the black neighborhood. Those things don't fix anything. They just don't, you know, and we find ourselves passing on this legacy of 
of, 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 of pain and trauma and brutality and intimidation right down to, our, to the next generation, to our children. You know what I mean? That it's not, it's not right. It's not uh, uh, responsible. It's not patriotic. You know, so I just wanted to kind of flip a lot of those things on their head by simply creating proximity between these, these characters who in real life would never have the opportunity to, to occupy the same space and ask each other uncomfortable questions. And man, it was so good. It was so, it was so good and it was so smart. And, you know, and with even, and so within that conversation and, and with the way you did it, you know, you, you, you brought up, you know, the police and, 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 and having the conversation. But, you know, it's interesting to me, I think when I had this conversation before in regards to, you know, policing in the communities. And essentially, I mean, you know, the catalyst behind, you know, everything that happens in the film is you and your son driving and the cops pulling you over. And and so then it becomes a conversation about, okay, we can talk about defund the police. We can talk about what, you know, what would replace the police for like traffic stops and things like that. But, you know, the interesting thing is about they get pulled you over a person with a gun. And and I think what people tend to forget is, you know, cops are people, people that just carrying guns legally. And I think you handled it so well in how your son got out of the car just to film and was killed, you know, and, and, you know, and what that means. And then taking that trauma, your trauma, further on down the line and then surprising us with the moment of the assault on the precinct. So talk to me about that for a second, the assault on the precinct and how you were able to on such a low budget, and we won't discuss the numbers of the budget, but we know it was low because you started at 100,000. Right. You know, being able to do a full-on precinct assault in your film. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how were you able to pull that together? I mean, I've heard rumors about it. I've heard stories, but I want to hear from, from the architect of it all. Um, well, uh, the, 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 the answer is... Um sleight of hand, art, you know what I mean? I think a, a young person, you know, I, I do a, um, a film school, uh, you know, um, Nate Parker Foundation, we put cameras in the hands of young people and allow them to tell their stories. Young person, one of my greatest lessons in film, I learned from a young person, or at least how to articulate it. They said, if you can't do it right with a little, you won't be able to do it right with a lot. And for a director, it was music to my ears. It came from the, uh, the, the mouth of a young African, um, West African filmmaker that we connected our foundation with, with, with the work that he's doing. And it really, and it really articulated what, what the answer to what you're asking, right? Like, you know, the script called for an assault on the precinct. Okay, so how do we do that? Okay, well, I know that we can't afford to shoot outside, lock up the streets, uh, blowing out the glass and, you know, even to sound design, you know what I mean? We're limited in everything, you know? So we, we're not gonna be able to run through the hallways and. Uh, show people get hit. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. And it was really just, again, when you have, you know, less than a million bucks to make a film, there's not a lot of room on the, for, for things to go on the floor. You have to write a lean script and shoot a lean script. So you use everything. So my plan from, from even in the, the script form was to go straight from this moment, this heightened moment of what is he going to do next to juxtapose the, the calm before the storm with the worst part of the storm. If you can imagine, you know, it's a, a film about um, someone in, in Katrina and it's a child of, you know, a parent who's decided not to leave. And the child is watching TV and he's hearing all of these stories about how bad it's going to get. 
but he's not old enough to do anything about it. So he's stuck and he's on the news and they're saying 10 feet of water, all these things. And he walks outside and he looks up this at the sky and the sky is blue. And all of a sudden he starts to see the, the sky start to turn. Anyone that's ever been in that, that situation, I'm from Virginia. So, you know, we know how the weather can come in. All of a sudden you see the weather start to come in and instantly he's underwater suffocating coming up and his face breaks the surface, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have to shoot all of the rain starting, all the people leaving, the cars, the, the, the water at the one foot mark, the two foot mark, the three foot mark, the four. All of a sudden we've been catapulted in that place. So I've, I kind of use the calm and the chaos to create a moment of artistic vision that, you know, you hope the audience will, will kind of ride with you. Uh, and, and they did. They did. They, you know, it seems as though, you know, I haven't heard anything yet. You know, it seems like every, every, everyone believed it. Um, but but it also has to be something so arresting that it does the job in an instant that could have been done with four minutes of shoe leather, if that makes sense. Because no one's ever seen, I'd never seen machine guns in the precinct, you know, and I knew that it was the type of image that would also let not just filmmakers, you know, that look like me know, but let, let the... Let audience members, let victims, let people who have justifiable rage know that I'm thinking of you. I'm, I, I recognize your rage and our rage is justified. And we're allowed to be angry. And we're allowed to have a, an image that, that could <laughs> even thinking it get us hurt or, uh, uh, you know, persecuted. You know what I mean? Um, yes. But, th but so there was a technical, the, the art of it was really creating the just, juxtaposition. You know, I try to do that in my films where there's peace and then there's chaos and there's only art in between. And it, it comes out of lack, right? You know, if I had $20 million, I might've been coerced into shooting an entire, you know, up the stairs and, you know, shooting through- Blown out windows. Blown out windows and diving, you know, and, and uh, 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 flash bombs and all that. But, you know, in, in innovation, you know, came from necessity. And, and those are things that I think that my crew executed expertly well. And, you know, you bring up your crew, so I, 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 that's perfectly where I was heading as well. I mean, so I, I, I agree, your crew, masterful job at it. And uh, one of those people I know you had is, you know, my, my past roommate when I first moved to L.A., Van Hayden, who was your first AD. Yeah. And, um, you know, who's an amazing first assistant director. I mean, you know, he's hard for all you directors out there. He's hard to get, but, um, but he's amazing at what he does. Yeah. And you guys, you know, that scene, you know, I remember I had to ask him about that scene. And, you know, the stunts that you guys did in that scene and, and the other scenes, the, was it Julius? Julius LaFleur was your stunt person as well, correct? So, I mean, you, so you asked the question of, did it accomplish the job? It did. Thank you. you know, as a viewer and watching it, it did. I never once thought about windows exploding or flashbang grenades or any of that because the drama and I also was there. And also, you know, to be honest, I, I, I stood up and I remember I was watching it, you know, with my assistant and I just stood up out of my seat. Because you had that moment of yes, you know, even though you're thinking, oh my God, I'm I'm wishing ill on, you know, on people, but it's not really. I, I, I'm I'm wishing, you know, release, you know, for what we have pent up inside of us since 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 this, you know, I'm 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 you know, release of moments where we see, you know, us just being killed for no reason, and release for when we see people storming the Capitol, and you know, there's not. Have had shots ringing out. No one's going. No one's in fear for their life. The fact that we you can be in fear for your life as a black person is walking away from you. But when you have MAGA people coming at you with stuff, you do not fear for your life. 
So it's just interesting. And I think- Yeah, but you, it's, it's, you know what it is, brother? It's programming. And we talk, we touch on it on the film because I think the, the, the wrong way to approach the shift in the narrative we're looking for is to say, take the cop, put the cop underneath the jail that killed the black person and everything will be fine. My degree in college was in uh, program. I got a degree in management science and information systems. And, and my professor, I had a professor told me once, he said, I come to him and I'm like, I can't find the error and I'm pushing execute and it's not working. He said, look, that program is only gonna do what you programmed it to do. If it's not executing, there's an error in the code. So find the error in the code and the program will do what it's supposed to do, right? So when we talk about policing, we can't talk about the individual. We have to talk about the system of policing. If we look at it as, a, as an institutional corporation that's creating widgets, the widgets are doing what they're programmed to do. They come out, they do their job. They come out, they do their job. So taking one widget off the assembly line is only going to create space for the next one to come in and do the exact thing that it's programmed to do. So if we're serious about spearheading and confronting police violence head on, then we can't just point a finger. Now, yes, there needs to be justice and accountability, right? But there also needs to be something that rocks the very foundation of policing. You know, you mentioned defund the police, right? A lot of people talk about defund the police, but it bec it's become so politicized that instantly it's polarizing without anyone really asking what it really means. Yep. You know what I mean? Because what yep. we're talking about is budget equity. I've been, I've been to schools, I've done talks, you know, me and my, my mentor, we go to alternative schools, we give all these speeches, right? Like we want to take the like thrown, thrown away stone and make it the cornerstone. And you go to these schools and I'm talking about five, six, seven, eight police officers in one school. And I'm thinking, okay, police aren't trained to do everything, right? No. So yeah. would it be, make more sense to have two police and six uh, trauma counselors that can speak to the reality of what these young people are experiencing, the trauma they experience just walking out of their house, a dice roll, not knowing what's going to ha happen to them if they're going to make it back. I think we have to take some conversations out of the partisan conversation and place them in the human conversation. Because if that happens, we won't instantly take this kind of Super Bowl approach, you know? Like, what team you play for? Yeah. I know, well, I'm, a, I'm a liberal. You're a like, we all have children, right? And, and, and we all want, want our children not only to enjoy life, but to not be traumatized by being even associated to someone who has been killed by the police or associated with someone whose father killed someone who was running away, right? We have to stop this cycle, but the only way to do it, you know, like what, I, what I, it's, we talk about changing the narrative. You can't change the narrative if you don't acknowledge the narrative. Exactly. So the film is very simple. This is where we are right now, folks, you know, and to kind of just pull it all the way back to crew, none of this stuff could have been executed without my crew. For all the filmmakers out there, I am the guy that will take less money to do the job if I can get the best. I will give up days. I just did it in my last film. I'll give up days if it means I can get the best crew. Because if you can, be if you can get the best crew to work at and above their capacity, they'll do it in less time. They just will. I'm not going to tell you how many days we shot this. But I'm going to tell you, for my directors out there, just know I didn't have a lot of days at all. Whatever you think is less than that. <laughs> Everyone showed up. And Van Hayden, you want to know how I got Van Hayden? I'm going to tell you how. So when it came time to crew up, I got an email. Hey, we got this first AD that we think will be perfect for you. I was like, okay, I'd love to meet him, you know. Um, 
But as I go to meet this person at this cafe, I reached out to one of my very close friends and producer, Preston Holmes. And I said, Preston, do you know any uh, black first ADs are available? Preston Holmes, if you know Preston, he says, yes, I do. <laughs> exactly. Just like that, right? And he put me on the phone with Van. And I met the other, the, the other brother, young, young, young um, white guy. And he was great. He was capable. Uh, but for me, in telling this story, specifically this story, this story about fathers and sons and mothers and sons and family, you know, and pain and trauma and anger and rage and justice and accountability, I wanted the energy of those who had the blood in their veins of, of, of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. I needed that. I needed that. We needed it on set, yep. you know, and, uh, and same thing with Julius, you know, brought in Julius and he brought a team. I remember the day he came in and we did our first run through and he had everyone, you know, the way they do it is they do like a little uh, mock-up or dry run and you're watching all the people do the thing that you've written. And, and I was like, and that's when I, it hit me. I was like, oh, this is, this is actually going to feel like it has some sides. This ain't going to feel small. Yeah. So they but did he, a little previous. They did a previous for you. They did a previous for me. He showed, but he showed up. He showed up. And, and I think that another thing to recognize, I mean, when you think about, you know, the Preston Holmes, when you think about the Van Hayden's, Julius, you know, you know, when you think about the Wynn Thomases, when you think yeah. about all these uh, uh, brothers, you know, and, and, and sisters that for whatever reason find themselves overlooked sometimes, or when projects like this that represent them, that they dream about being a part of, the bigger they are, the harder the chances they get they can get on them sometimes. And I'm just keeping it real, you know, for everyone. Yes, else. please do. That's what we're here for. You know, keeping it real, you know, it means all the more. It, it's even more special when you can pull them in on a project uh, like this. And, uh, and, 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 you know, it, it reminds me, it reminds me. April uh, 28, 2019, we were, we were shooting this movie. You know what's significant about that date? It's the day John Singleton died. Yes. We were shooting this movie and um, we were in the middle of the, one of the scenes and Van came over to me and he said, Nate, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. And I went into the room um, and it was him, it was myself. And I want to say that Julius may have been there as well. And he said that, um, you know, John, John passed. And uh, I couldn't imagine being with more um, relevant company. It meant so much to me that a brother I look at as an elder to me that understood one knew John very intimately, but also knew what John meant to me was the one that pulled me in the room to tell me that one of our brothers in arms, a pioneer had passed away. And we had to keep shooting that day. And we were very, mm. uh, but I remember thinking to myself, man, like, this is, this is my hero uh, and he's gone. But if he was here, he'd say, Nate, keep shooting. And, uh, but we carried that. It, it, we carried that, the spirit of John with us as we, sh as we shot. You know, I don't know what he would have felt about the film, but uh, his DNA is in it. I know that. Um, I think he would have loved the film. I think if you looking at John's body of work, I think he would have loved that film. And also not just his body of work, but his heart, his mm -hmm. soul, his, you know, his intensity and his spirit you know, for, you know, for, for, for a black subject matter and speaking the truth to power. And that's what your film does. That's, that's exactly what your film does. It's so amazing. And so, you know, staying a little bit on, on the crew a bit. So you had, you had that, and then you also had um, your production designer, 
Um, Jeffrey Kirkland. He also did. Uh, so Jeffrey Kirkland is one of the best production designers in, in the business. Um, you know, he did the right stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, he did Children of Men. Um, and, and he did this movie. And, and I want to say Jeffrey is like 79 now. So 78. Wow. Um, wow. And he did this movie. And, and you saw the way it looked. You know, he brought Amazing. a big budget studio vision to this tiny, you know, million dollar film. And what I love about Jeffrey is he never makes you feel like you don't have enough. Mm. You know, um, he just comes to you with his plan. You know what I mean? And sometimes the plan involves, you know, going to uh, a, a dump where uh, he heard that, that a lot of a school had closed and picking up all of these, uh, these office type looking desks that we ended up using, you know, like, it's, it wasn't like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. So I got to go dumpster diving. It was, hey, good news. Found all these desks from this building that's closing down. It was, he's always, the same thing when we did Birth of a Nation. He came to, so my producers came to me. I love my producers, but this true story came to me and said, Nate, there is no money. I'm producer Mark Moran. There's no money to build cabins. You know, you know how when a line producer approaches you, because he and he says something in a way that he doesn't want you to to argue or try to negotiate. Yes, he wants you to say, Dang. you know, he says, Nate, I gotta tell you, there's no money to build these cabins. I said, okay, <laughs> and I said like this, Dang. I said, Jeffrey, so what are we gonna do? He said, I got a plan. Don't worry. I don't know what he did. I don't know how he did it, but we had. Cabins that look like they came from a hundred million dollar movie. Mm -hmm. and I, I think that a director is only as good as the approach of his crew. Cause everyone can come and work hard, mm -hmm. but if they're, if they're not showing up in problem solving mode, then you're going to have a hard time. Cause they can work hard, 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 hard. Like he could have worked hard with no money for cabins and we could have, you know, not, I don't even know what we would have done, but it's, <laughs> but when you have people, you know, even like Van, I can, like Van would text me at three o'clock in the morning and say, you want to look at these boards? I think I got it. Three in the morning. And I yeah, yeah. Bed, open up my computer to look at these boards because we're trying to solve, you know, how are we going to shoot 12 page days, Nate? We're just going to shoot them. You know what I mean? So I really yeah. take a lot of credit. Like when it comes to I honestly believe a director's only as good as, as, as his crew. Your crew, if you, your crew's not with you, you ain't going to get nothing done. If you do, it's not going to be worth salt anyway. There it is. There it is. These are gems. These are total gems you're dropping. All right, so, that, so now let me, let's, let's go over the arc here a little bit. And, you know, you know, your character has come in there and taken over the, the precinct and had your trial mm -hmm. of, 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 the, uh, of the officer, Bo's, Bo's character. And, you know, understandings are you know, being felt and people are feeling the feelings that they're feeling, you know, and then the decision is to, you know, hey, we're not going to kill this guy. We're going to, you know, this is it. You know, this is this is it. We're going to go out now because now obviously you're surrounded, you know, by feds and, you know, police officers all over the place. And, you know, now it's about, OK, so what do we do when we go outside and we're going to be united like that ending. Just, I say all that to say I'm getting around to the ending. Mm -hmm. That ending, 
you, what, what, how did you, you know, did, did that ending go through different iterations? Were there different versions of the ending? No. Or was it always going to be that? Always the same. It was always the same. I was asked once by a producer if I would shoot an alternate ending. Um, that conversation lasted about 15 seconds. Um, I was never interested, you know? Uh, I felt like it was so important not to let anyone off the hook. So often we get these movies where we do this work, we do this hard work, we have these awkward moments, these awkward conversations, and then we tie it up so everyone can leave and go to In-N-Out and forget that they saw a film at all, you know? Uh, and I try to make films that pour lead in people's shoes, you know, so they can't get up and they're stuck and they're asking themselves, if this is true, then what am I doing to change it? And that, that is, you know, what I wanted people to leave with. Until the conversation that happens in that precinct happens outside, that ending is going to be the ending for many, 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 many brown bodies. We can have mm. a conversation inside all day long. How many conversations do you have in your comfort of your own home about the things that need solutions, things that need to change, but then we go into the world and we're just afraid. We're politically correct. We're, we're partisan. We're all these things that grabs our tongue and allows us to occupy the space of people that we know need to change, or we know need a perspective shift, or we, you know, people just aren't, aren't, aren't always willing to, to take the conversation outside of the com comfortable space. So that, that's what the, the ending, you know, was about. I think that me personally, um, when I think of, you know, Oscar Michaud, you know, or Paul Robeson, you know, Paul Robeson said, the artist must decide if he will fight for bondage or freedom. I've made my choice. And I think as an art artist, if we're going to do what Nina Simone says and, and reflect the times, we have to do it unapologetically. And sometimes that comes with making endings that aren't so popular. You know, I've had people say that the, 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 the ending made them, filled them with rage. And I'm like, good. Some mm -hmm. said I could not stop crying. I was on the floor. Great. If you say you didn't, you weren't moved at all, then I've lost. I've done the wrong. I did it wrong. Um, and I failed. I've missed the mark. You know, man, I have both of those rage and tears. Oh. And I mean, and to be honest, I did not expect that ending. Nate. I, 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 you know, I'm a follower of your work and your films. And I knew they were going to be twists and turns, but I did not expect that that ending. So I applaud you for literally stopping, you know, my heart you know, for 10 seconds of going, wait, that's, that's it. This is what happens. And this is, and life goes on. And you did it so massively with life going on. That was just, yeah. And, and that's real. And that's the thing too. I had someone ask me a question. Are you sure you want to, after that, you want to go to that? And I said, absolutely. Because this is where we are now. Let's mm -hmm. keep it real. Isn't it interesting when George Floyd happened, I had so many of my colleagues, you know, all colors, but mostly white call me and say, I had no idea, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? How can I help? You know, um, I had so many, you know, people I knew that were in the streets that knew people that were maybe really in the street. And I said, you know, the thing that we have to embrace right now is the flame. You know, the flame that the, 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 the literal flame, the figurative flame, young people being the figurative flame, the flame of all, you know, all the people that showed up that were in the streets, the people, the grove burned, the burned. I mean, it's, and I said to, I said to a couple of friends of mine, I said, when the flame dies down, 
life will go on and everyone for, will forget. People will set up all these, you know, sec segments of their organization and institution for black and diversity and inclusion. But the question is how many people will keep them when it's not cool, when the pendulum swings the other way, you know? And if you remember what happened with George Floyd, you know what they did? They brought basketball back quick, didn't they? Quick, They brought fast. the playoffs back, fast track. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I woke up one day, I was like, man, I haven't heard George Floyd's name in so long. That's what happened, you know? And I made this film in 2019. I didn't make, you know what I mean? I know, that's the thing. I made, I made this film before George Floyd. Way, this, wasn't yes, a, this wasn't something I cobbled together to get for an opportunity. I made this film in April of 2019. The sad reality is that it was timely in 2019. It was timely in 2009. It was definitely timely in 1999. And, and if we're not careful, it'll be timely 50 years from now. If yep. we're not willing to stand in the gap and turn away from the things that pacify us, because this is not a black problem. This is a white problem too. This yep. Asian problem. This is an LGBTQ problem. This is a, you know, all of the people that are, have been marginalized are the people that are being taking part of, in, in that marginalization. It impacts us all. And we have to, in my opinion, we have to be cognizant of what we're handing down. Because the only thing worse than me losing my son is my son losing his son. His son. Preach. So, you know, so it's, it's, that was my approach. You know, every frame was shot, you know, it was always the design. You never know how people are going to respond to the art. You never know. You never know. But I think as to my directors out there, have courage anyway. You know, I can't think of, I can't think of one super artists or artists that we respect that's known across borders and country lines that was, that was, <laughs> had their work was valuable in the moment. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Picasso didn't say, I'm gonna paint this. And if it doesn't open, <laughs> I'm, I'm, set, I'm, I'm, I'm setting it on fire. You know, you know what <laughs> I mean? And not, and not, not at all to compare myself to, 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 to Picasso, uh, but to say as an artist, our job is to make the art, who cares? The other stuff is semantics, because guess what? We are all gonna die away, but our art will still remain. Still remain. And, 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 and our offspring will remain. Meaning, my children's 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 children will know how I felt about George Floyd. Will know how I felt about Tamir Rice, Brianna. They will know by the fruit. As the young folks say, I got my receipts as an artist. So we Man. have to make sure, as, right, as artists, we have to be unapologetic. We have to be unflinching. We have to make it for a dollar or a hundred million dollars. Whatever, if, if it's in our spirit, it has to get out of our spirit and onto the page and onto the tape and onto the whatever distribution channel we can get it on. And guess what? If they don't want it and it's true and you think it's going to be helpful, put it on YouTube for free. Yep. Deal yep. with the aftermath later. Please, I hope I can't get sued from saying that to someone that's maybe we'll do that down the line, but it's truly how I feel. And if I'm talking to my, my, my colleagues, my artists, you know, I just, I just have to, to double down on that. We're getting we're no, get a blessing to be able to do what we do. You can triple down on that. Let me tell you something, man, it's Black History Month. And yes, this DGA, and yes, it's about craft, but it's about this too. And you made a film that speaks to, you know, your craft and your, your, your art, artistry, but also speaks to the streets and what's going on in America. And little did you know, you know, in 2019 when you made it, we'd be here, but, but your spirit knew, the ancestors knew, the, you know, and they know each, each bit of art, 
is a chip away. It's a chip away at what we're dealing with. Like I said before, your children's children's children have to gonna have to deal, and they'll know, man, this is a much needed conversation. And, and, and under the umbrella of this film and during Black History Month, thank you so much for this. I know we got to come to an end in a minute, but let me let me get a, a couple of other you know technical things out the way. I want to give props to your um, your DP. How was that, and what was that situation like? What was what was that like? That, uh, Kai Madsen is a very talented uh, German cinematographer, uh, and I always told him, I said, after this, hopefully, if they see what I what I see in my head before we shot, I said, if they see what I see in my head, you're going to be in demand, and uh, and they're going to reach out to. He is so talented. He understands tone. Uh, he is very he's very much a naturalist. Um, we lit the space once and then carried around a kino, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, and, and, you know, it looks the way it looks because of him, you know, uh, we, we, in the very beginning, we decided, you know, we, initially we were like, we're going to go all the way, uh, documentary and only shoot found footage, you know, and we found our way. There were some things classically we wanted to do to really drive story, but we shot in this, in this film, we shot, uh, iPhones, we shot, uh, stick up cams. We start Go GoPros. Um, I shot an Alexa, shot a red, shot dash cam. Um, every medium that you can imagine, we want it to represent for a couple reasons. One, for the filmmaker, go shoot it. It is, a, it is equal amount that, you know, we shot more iPhone stuff than you can imagine. We shot more, and we just left the surveillance cameras running the whole time. We'd shoot scenes and then have the roaming cameras. There's sometimes we were shooting five cameras at once. We tell all the cameras to flip, go, go away. We'd shoot a moment so it'd be on the security cams. We'd wave everyone back in. And I told people, don't worry about who's in the way. That's why we have editors. And everyone knows the mm -hmm. editor has rewrite. So we're like, you know, yep. if you're in your way, I said, if someone's in your way and you're getting something you think is strong, tap them. You know what I mean? Like, so, so we would, you know, we would, you know, we were, I, you know, we have a, Kai shooting one thing, holding another camera, handing one off, getting down with the other camera, passing another camera. It was the most bizarre spectacle you've ever seen on the outside looking in. But I think that's why we had the, the realism we were able to achieve mm. because we just cycled and shot and cycled and shot, put everything in the Abbott. And then, you know, the incomparable Billy Weber had to, had to make sense of it. You know? Your editor did an amazing job. He did an amazing job with that. He's one of the best. He's one of the best. I mean, you can't do, but you could do worse than 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 someone who's on a, a, a days of heaven. You know what I mean? Like he's, yeah. he's the best. You see what I mean? Like filmmakers, go get the. It's so funny. Steve Rosenblum edited uh, Birds, *Birds of a Nation*. You know how I got Steve Rosenblum? I begged him every single day. The worst thing his agent could have did me did was give me his information, his personal information. I called him every day. He said no, even when I was on set and I kept asking. And then one day he said, well, look, if I were to do it, and then I knew I had him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The guy did Braveheart. So you know, yep. he's going to show up. Same thing with Billy Weber. I got in touch with Billy Weber through a friend and begged him. I said, look, and, and, and Billy Weber said, I don't want any money. What kind of editor, what kind of editor doesn't even want to get paid? He's like, oh, I do this for free. I talked to him on like a Wednesday at like 9 a.m. after lunch, guess who walks onto the set? We're shooting in Glendale. Billy Weber. Weber. <laughs> and guess how I met him? He was walking, he walked up to me. I heard someone in my ear. I, didn't, I, I hadn't seen him in real life. And he was like, what you shot was great. I turned, he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're right, you don't need to turn around. You don't need that part. And like, Billy, he was like, Billy Weber. 
take the shots, guys. Go after the I very best people you can get. Take the shot. But worst they can say is no. Get that personal number and blow them up. They'll either say yes or you or it'll be a restraining order. But if they <laughs> say but if they say yes, if they say yes, then not only do you have a great editor, but you have their history. You have their historical context when it comes to their talent in your little tiny thing. So your thing ain't tiny no more. Yes, this movie costs less than a million dollars. But with respect to talent and the people who showed up frame after frame and did their thing, this is a hundred million dollar movie. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, Nate, man, I, 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 I can talk to you about this forever because <laughs> we didn't even get to the Spike Lee part. We didn't even get to, to we didn't even get to you know the film festival right. part, but yeah, yeah, I can talk to you forever, bro. Um, what's next for you? What's the what's the what's 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 next for you? Whether TV, film, whatever. What's next? Because you know I think we want we, we definitely are ready you know to see more Nate Parker. So wh what's next for you? Well, I just shot um, a film in Vancouver with David Oyelowo called Solitary. It deals with the prison industrial complex and the inhumane aspects of solitary confinement and how it impacts this man's mind as he's trying to reintegrate uh, and fall back in love with his family that he left behind. Um, shot that in Vancouver. Um, man, I love that. Listen, I love that. Just that, that little pitch, right? That little synopsis you just gave right there just gave me chills. Oh, I mean, every film it seems like you do, it hits things, boom. You know, it's like, uh, it's like uh, when I think about those, like you, Ava, Barry Jenkins, there's folks that you go, okay, well, they go right for the middle and they just right for the heart of it all. You go, boom, okay, we're not messing around. Here it is, boom, prison industrial complex. Holy yeah. mackerel. Yeah, just I'm trying looking to, forward know, to that. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, it, for me, it's it's about what I'm leaving behind. You know, I know my my children, my children's children, my children's children's children is going to have a lot of questions. Uh, not only about, you know, why the world is the way it is, but what I did to try to help shape it. You know, I'm not a savior. This is no film is not about saviors. It, it asks more questions than it answers. Uh, but but it is an attempt to join the conversation with respect to moving us forward as a people, because I think that it's the tide that raises all ships. You know, mm -hmm. a country that respects, you know, people of color, black people, respects their bodies is going to be a better country, uh, a country that puts value on the way uh, that we interact with each other. Um, is just going to be a better country. And I think it's patriotic to want that. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, like I said, I don't got all the answers, but as long as there's, there's breath in my body, I'm going to use my art uh, and use this platform for good to try to move us forward. Man, Nate Parker, this has been a masterclass at the DGA. It's been a masterclass in filmmaking and a masterclass in, in just social justice and social activism and, you know, being on the right page and being, being on the right side of history. I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time and, and making the film and allowing this conversation to happen based on your film, what was in your heart and what was in your mind when you made it. And man, brother, I'm just hand clapping to all the people out there clapping. Well, thank you to the DPA. Yeah, you know, I appreciate the union. You guys protect me, you hold me down, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, recognizing, uh, you know, the birds of a nation, um, you know, I, I, I'm always here for the DGA, always. And we'll, you and I will talk more offline how I can be more definitely. involved. I know everything's virtual, so you can pull me in, brother. We definitely will. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Aaron Schneider, Gabriella Cowperthwaite, and Josh Greenbaum. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 